Hello, and welcome to Wedge Issues, a politics podcast from the Cap Times. I'm Jack Kelly. Tensions have been running high in Washington in recent weeks as lawmakers worked out a deal to increase the nation's debt limit. Those tensions, as much as they can be, were put to bed a little more than a week ago when President Joe Biden signed into law a package dubbed the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023. The legislation suspends the debt limit until after the next presidential election and also includes spending cuts Republicans advocated for. This week on the show, I'm joined by Congressman Brian Stile, who represents Wisconsin's first congressional district, which encompasses large portions of southeast Wisconsin. We spoke by Zoom last week and discussed which party came out ahead in the deal, if he's backing a specific presidential candidate, and much more. Here's my conversation with Congressman Brian Stile. Congressman Brian Stile, thank you very much for joining Wedge Issues again. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Let's start with the action that drove headlines for weeks. President Biden recently signed into law a measure that, among other things, increased the nation's debt limit, helping the government avoid defaulting on its debt, which likely would have led to economic turmoil. The president, of course, negotiated that deal with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Who came out ahead in that negotiation? Was it Democrats led by the president or was it Republicans led by Speaker McCarthy? I think the American people came out ahead is we look at where we got to at the end of the day. We got substantive reductions in spending. We got work requirements to get workers back to work. Um, and you look at some of the pro-growth policies, in particular, NEPA reform, which is really how does your federal government review key infrastructure projects from an environmental standpoint? The reforms we got there were to speed those up, not to reduce the environmental review process, but to simply speed up the review process. So we can get shovels in the ground and some really key infrastructure pieces. If you think back to where we started, what the president wanted was my way or the highway. What he wanted was kind of business as usual, no change in our spending. Well, Republicans at the end of the day were successful at getting the president to the negotiating table. And every single item inside that bill uh, was something that Republicans fought for. So Republicans won in the political sense, but the American people won in the policy sense. Mm. Something that jumps out at me, you voted in favor of the bill, but some of your Republican colleagues did not. Why did you decide to support the legislation and, and why do you think some of your colleagues didn't? I look at the Reagan comment about if you can take half a loaf, take half a loaf. Uh, and I look at this as maybe this is only a slice or two of the bread, uh, but I'll take a slice or two and we'll come back uh, to fight another day. And so when you get an opportunity in Congress to cut $1.5 trillion in spending, the largest spending cut ever voted for, I don't think that's an opportunity you can pass by to say, let's bring our federal government down in size. Let's put in spending caps. Let's get the work reform that we talked about. Let's address a lot of these pro-growth policies like in the environmental review process to speed that up. And when you look at that as a whole, it's a win. Now, some of my Republican colleagues would like to win more. Well, so do I. But let's take half the loaf when you get the opportunity to. And so therefore, I'm in support. It's a step in the right direction. Some people have been talking about kind of the sensible center, right? Obviously, quite a few Democrats. I think in the end, it turned out to be more Democrats than Republicans voted for this. Do you think there's something to be said about getting back to some of that consensus building when it comes to passing legislation? You know, in a period of time of divided government for any legislation to be signed into law, by definition, it's going to have to pass a Republican House, a Democratic Senate, and signed into law by a, a Democratic president. And so for a lot of this, um, must-do legislation and a debt ceiling increase is a must-do piece of legislation. Um, I think it's imperative uh, that we actually come to the table and negotiate. It's one of the reasons, actually, 
I was so frustrated with uh, President Biden's initial position of my way or the highway. I mean, he bet the House that ultimately Republicans would not unify uh, in the House of Representatives and come together and put forward a bill. We did that. We, I think, exceeded a lot of people's expectations by saying, here's the roadmap that we think begins to get us back towards fiscal responsibility. And as the date came closer in his um, you know, dangerous and reckless position of refusing to negotiate came closer to the X date. At the end of the day, he came to the table and negotiated. We as a country would be far better served if folks were willing to come to the table earlier to negotiate. And hopefully uh, President Biden and his team learned a lesson that they and everyone would be better served uh, to actually sit down and have the difficult conversations up front rather than to play the brinksmanship game as the White House did. Mm. I wonder the person leading the negotiations on the Republican side, uh, Speaker McCarthy, what's your relationship like with the speaker? He, of course, appointed you to lead the the committee on House administration earlier this year. Yeah, we have a good rapport. I mean, he is a good leader of the team, right? And so any management, uh, any coach you have, uh, you know, you agree and disagree on certain policy positions, but he's shown time and again the ability uh, to unify uh, conservatives in the House and move forward uh, substantive and meaningful legislation, not just uh, the Limit, Save, Grow Act that was uh, passed originally with the overwhelming majority of Republicans, no Democratic votes on that first bill, uh, but as well as things as the, as the Parents' Bill of Rights as it relates to education. Um, H.R. 1 in the Republican House, which is a substantive and transformative bill as it relates to energy policy. Um, I think we have an opportunity in the not-too-distant future as it relates to passing legislation uh, regarding voter integrity. And so I think time and again, what we see uh, is his ability to to keep conservatives together. The more unified conservatives are, the better we're positioned to negotiate President Biden. At the end of the day, uh, those negotiations result in wins for the American people. Mm. I'm curious, just following up there, what would a voter integrity or voting integrity package look like? So I chair the Committee on House Administration. We oversee federal election law. We will be introducing in the weeks ahead uh, a bill that we're going to call the ACE Act, the American Confidence and Elections Act, that does a host of things and provides states with the tools to enhance voter integrity. So a simple example of that is states currently have some ability to remove people from their voter rolls upon the, the death of an individual. There's an opportunity for substantively more coordination, in particular with Social Security Department, who keeps... Uh, the U.S. death rolls. Well, when someone dies, that's actually a great time to remove them from the voter rolls. And so we're going to provide states with the tools they need to put forward meaningful and substantive uh, voter integrity laws, which I think are really a major step in enhancing our democracy. Now, there's going to be naysayers as they were as there were when Georgia passed a, a substantive and transformative uh, election integrity bill. But if you look at the empirical data, not only did more people vote in Georgia, more people voted in every demographic group of, of relevance, right? Blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, women, veterans. But also, when you look at the polling data, people actually liked the voting experience more. And so the, the left worked to demagogue that. But in the end, when you enhance voter integrity, what you do is you increase people's confidence in our election and you actually increase voter turnout. The higher your voter turnout, participation by legal votes, that's a good thing for our democracy. I want to look ahead as well to some other things. Obviously, financial ruin having successfully been avoided, at least for now. What do you think House Republicans should be working on next? What should be the next top priority for, for you and your colleagues in Washington? 
the next big task for not only uh, Republicans in the House, but for our federal government in general, is the appropriations bills. That means now that we've set the top line number that we're going to spend in all the key categories for your federal government, now is the time for the really difficult kind of in the weeds work of what programs are we going to actually spend on and what programs are we going to claw back on? And there is plenty of waste in your federal government to identify programs that are not deserving of funding. There's also opportunities in there to make sure that there's programs that are working really well to highlight them and to move them up. And so I think across the board, the hard work begins now of evaluating what we're spending our money on and, and making sure that we're making the best decision we can uh, for taxpayers. Sure. Something else that jumped out at me specifically about you you have had the unique position. Many members now are, are doing this. You've served in the House both as a member of the minority and now as a member of the majority. How have things changed for you over the last six months now that Republicans are in the majority? And what perspective are you? did you bring with you having served in the minority? The House of Representatives is a majority-run institution. And so I was the ranking member on a select committee uh, last Congress. Uh, for two years, uh, where Jim Himes, a Democrat from Connecticut, was the chairman. And by definition, it's a majority-run institution, so we lost a lot of votes, right? He, he ran the agenda. That's how the system operates. Then I came into this Congress, and I'm now the chair of the Committee on House Administration, one of the 21 standing committees in the House with meaningful and substantive policy jurisdiction, but also in the operations of the House. So one of the things that I've done is working with the Democrats on my committee, someone like Joe Morelli, who is the ranking member, a Democrat from New York, and saying, look, there's areas where we're gonna disagree, we're gonna have those dog fights, and we're gonna have policy discussions. There's also areas where we're gonna agree, and let's make sure we're working in a mindset of where there's things that we can get done, let's get them done, and where there's areas where we're gonna disagree, let's be honorable, in that policy discussion. And I would offer that on the Committee of House Administration, we've actually done a really good job of both getting things done where there is agreement and building that broad consensus across the aisle, uh, but also having thoughtful and substantive policy debates that I think are worthy uh, and necessary in a, in a democracy like ours. Changing pace just a little bit. It has somehow already election season. The number of Republicans vying for your party's presidential nomination continues to grow. As a member of the House, is there one candidate in the Republican field for president uh, in particular that, that you would most like to work with if they were eventually elected president? I think what's going to be really important is that our presidential candidate is talking about the future and the policy changes we need to make to go forward. And so I actually think having a, a, a large number of people in the race in the early stages is good for us because it forces us to dive into the policy conversations that are important about moving this country forward. At the end of the day, that's going to consolidate uh, down to one man or woman, and that ultimately will uh, culminate at the Republican convention in Milwaukee uh, in uh, next summer, just over a year from today. And so I look at the policies that these uh, men and women are bringing to the table, and there's policies that I like more with some than others. But across the board, that's the national debate that needs to take place. And so I don't have one candidate in the race that I think is is the must-have candidate. I think the people should decide that. But the more we're talking about policies, the better off we are. Sure. You mentioned it there, the RNC coming to Milwaukee. It's a big deal for the state of Wisconsin. It's a big deal for the city. I wonder, in your mind, 
how critical or, or how important will it turn out to be, both for Republicans from a political perspective, but also for the state from an economic perspective to have the RNC uh, in Milwaukee next summer? This is a big deal for the Milwaukee region. As you know, the 1st Congressional District represents about 25% of Milwaukee County, kind of all the southern suburbs south of the city. And so there are going to be people from across the country and across the world who have never been to Milwaukee. And let me tell you, there's no place better than Wisconsin in the summer. And they're going to come into Milwaukee. They're going to see the lake. They're going to have a temperature that doesn't remind them of places like Washington, D.C., or South Florida in July and August. And they're going to think, holy cow, this is a, a place that I should have checked out a long time ago. And I think that puts Wisconsin on the map uh, for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people uh, will fully appreciate what you and I know is that there's no place better than Wisconsin in the summer. Oh, I absolutely agree with you on that. I'd actually argue there's no place better than Wisconsin in all four seasons. I'm a big winter sports guy, so you can like <laughs> cross-country skiing. I just accept that that's a harder sell to some of my colleagues. <laughs> uh, you know, born and raised in Wisconsin, I have to say I prefer Wisconsin summers to Wisconsin winters, but I appreciate people who like to ski and snowmobile and do everything else. <laughs> Briefly, while we're on campaigns, you've said you're not running here in Wisconsin for a U.S. Senate seat next year. Is there someone among those rumored to be considering bids that you'd like to see get into the race and, and would support to run against Tammy Baldwin? We have a number of great conservatives in the state who may ultimately make the decision to step up uh, and run. What we can't have uh, is a rubber stamp for Joe Biden. What we saw under Democratic one-party control with Joe Biden at the helm was really disastrous economic policies that resulted in massive inflation, making everything 15% more expensive than when he came into office. And families continue to fall further and further behind in his administration. And so there's a number of conservatives I know who are looking at this race. Um, you know, ultimately, I think we're going to end up with a great candidate. I'm not planning to run, as you noted, uh, but I do think uh, we have great folks who may make a decision in the not too distant future uh, to step up and run. Sure. One final thing before we move on to the lightning round. Washington is home to the think piece. One that came out during the, the debt limit negotiations was whether or not dress sneakers were in fact appropriate to be worn in the Oval Office or when, you know, critical negotiations are happening like this. How do you feel about the dress sneaker as a guy that wears a suit to work almost every single day? You know, in, in, the, in the House side, there's a ton of walking. And I think that's sometimes lost on people, right? If you're in the Oval Office, there's not a lot of walking because everything's about 50 feet from you. In the house, you're putting on miles per day. And so a lot of my colleagues like to have comfortable shoes. You know, I got uh, some rubber bottom soles on my shoes. I say, whatever people want to wear, God bless them. You enjoy what you're wearing. I'm talking with Congressman Brian Style. More to come. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe. Madison's Bookstore for Night Owls, serving craft cocktails, locally roasted coffee, and desserts every day from morning till midnight. More information at leopoldsmadison.com. Okay, are you ready for the lightning round? Always ready. So on your previous appearance on the podcast, uh, you said that, you know, you always have Miller Lite or High Life in the house, but then Oatmeal Stout from Gray's, a brewery in Janesville, was your favorite beer. That still rings true. Are there any additions to the list? No, it's hard to beat a cold Oatmeal Stout from Gray's. You can buy the six-pack at Woodman's at a pretty fair price. 
and you're going to find that in my fridge most days. What's your favorite knickknack or family heirloom or, or tchotchke that you own? So my grandfather was involved in World War II, like many people's family members were. He went up the boot of Italy. So he was North Africa. He enlisted in the army in 39. I was in the North Africa campaign, went up the boot of Italy, would ultimately enter uh, southern Germany. But on the uh, liberation of Rome, which is really a day or two before D-Day, so it's really overshadowed as to how significant of, a, of an event that was, he somehow got himself into the Grand Hotel of Rome. He was a captain in the army by that point uh, in his career. And when he left the Grand Hotel of Rome, he kept the key. And so the key from the Grand Hotel of Rome and the room my grandfather stayed in uh, is a, a memento we have in our family. I just look back at that and you think of the, the men who fought in World War II and the men and women who fought defending our freedoms and liberties every day. These men are, and women are risking their whole lives for it. And uh, that's just my little token of a memory of uh, my grandfather's efforts in World War II. Oh, wow, that's an amazing piece of history to have. It puts to life what these men and women were risking. You know, many of them, right, 18, 19, 20, right, some in their late 20s, some of them maybe even into their early 30s, who left and kissed their families goodbye to fight for our freedoms and liberties. It's a, a true and substantive appreciation of the fact that of the millions of men and women who've done just the same. You spend a lot of time on flights back and forth between Wisconsin and Washington. Who or what song or artist are you listening to right now? I am all across the board. Uh, I end up listening to a lot of country music. And the way that that started, I didn't listen to country music in high school. And then as I started driving more and more back for uh, when I was working in the manufacturing sector, I'd listen to the radio. And I personally believe, I have no idea if this is true, that country stations have fewer commercials. And if that's true... I'm convinced of it, at least. And so I started listening to more and more country music. And now that's usually where my genre is. And uh, I throw on a station on streaming music and away I go. Awesome. What is your favorite sandwich? I end up with a tuna fish sandwich way more often than I should ever admit in public. Yeah. Is there one place that you'd like to get it from? Do you like to make it yourself? No, I'm just kind of like boring. So there's a cafeteria downstairs in the House of Representatives. And the sandwich line is not too bad. And a tuna sandwich uh, usually fits the bill. So I end up with a tuna fish sandwich way too often. Uh, it's pretty lame, but that and a bottle of water, and that's my lunch. <laughs> my version of the, the Scott Walker ham sandwich. <laughs> Are you reading anything not work-related right now? I just started reading Strength to Strength, which is an Arthur Brooks book. But I literally just picked it up. Before that, I was reading a really nerdy economic book that is work-related, so... I'll call strength to strength, not work-related, but um, at least in the first few pages of, of my journey here, it's a pretty good read. Have you ever asked someone for their autograph, and who was it? I did, uh, but boy, I haven't done that in a long time, but I, I have actually and found in my house a hat from Harry Carey that he signed for me back when Harry Carey was still making play calls for the Cubs. My same grandfather that I referenced earlier to you, I uh, was in World War II, spent his entire life working for Wrigley's Gum. And Wrigley's owned the Chicago Cubs right back as a, a family business. That was the side hustle. The real uh, business was gum. And so he would take me to Cubs games. And uh, I think along with my aunt, I got a hat signed by Harry Carey. I don't know if I have many other signatures other than that one. But I remember that because I just found it in my house. That's a pretty good one to have. In 2018, you said your favorite Wisconsin cheese was an aged cheddar. I think it was from Hooks being specific there. Is that still true? Is there anything else to add to the list? So if you're from Wisconsin, you got You can't just have a cheese. You got to have your creamery. <laughs> and so, you know, you can, have, you can get a pretty good blue cheese from Roth. 
But I still think Hooks is my personal favorite creamery in the state. There's a lot of there's a lot of good creameries, but for whatever reason, the aged cheddar from Hooks is second to none. But the Hooks blue cheese pretty much rivals almost any other blue cheese that's out there. Congressman Brian Style, thank you very much for joining Wedge Issues. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. The show is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe and edited by Haley Bowers. Our intro music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll have new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. And if you haven't already, sign up for Wedge Issues, the newsletter at captimes.com forward slash newsletters. I'm Jack Kelly. Thanks for listening.